This episode is brought to you by Jing's Mortgage Team. Jing's Mortgage Team is a team of real estate mortgage professionals whose mission is to help anyone with their real estate needs. If you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, refinance your home, have credit issues, or in need of an investment loan, we can definitely help you. If you're looking for a real estate agent, we know the best of the best real estate agents. Visit the link below for more information. Thank you so much for coming on Secret Sauce with Hamilton Lau. For our viewers, our new viewers, Secret Sauce with Hamilton Lau strives to try to peel back the curtain on industry leaders, on remarkable places, on people that experience incredible experiences, how they overcame it. And today, we have an incredibly special guest to have, uh, that I have on. Uh, Christine Rice. She's the director of Glen Cove Senior Center. She has an amazing resume of leadership in community outreach and community service. And I came here uh, in February of 2023 for a Senior Independence Month event. I was fortunate enough to provide uh, some uh, some great useful mm -hmm. information for the seniors here. And <clears throat> When I came here, there is just something about this center. There's just loads of activity. There's a sophisticated transportation system to bring the seniors here. And I, ha I had to talk to the movers and shakers of this center because it is like no center that I've ever seen. Whether it be a community center or a youth center or any senior center, this is just top of the line. So Christine Rice, Thank you so much oh, for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I let's dive right in. You know, well, first, I want oh, to thank yes. you for doing the series that you did at the center. The members loved it. It was very informative. It was helpful to them. And as you saw, the activity area was packed. Yes. And I want to say that I think birds of a feather flock together mm -hmm. and giving back to the community is, is big for our team as well. So you know, when we connected, you know, Christine was just immediately like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And it was. Um, I'm so happy that so many people came. I, I'd love to dive into um, talking about what makes um, the center so great. And I believe that leadership is important. You know, leadership can either make or break in any organization. And there's something special about this uh, location here. I'd love to dive into uh, what makes the senior center so great. Um, so Christine, uh, so from working with uh, the Long Island Alzheimer's Foundations, uh, the Glen Cove Senior Center now, um, you know, what attracted you to helping the community? Well, I grew up in a great community, like I said, Garden City. It's wonderful. Um, my, my parents brought uh, nine of my, myself and my nine siblings up in Garden City. So we kind of grew up with our own community with that many people in our family. And we were very active um, in Garden City, whether it be athletics, um, but, you know, uh, going to help with certain organizations, mm -hmm. doing different things as we were younger. My parents um, were kind of leaders in themselves. My mom was a very uh, strong woman. When she was younger, most in that age, most people got married at very young ages, had children. Um, she went to college. She traveled Europe. She worked in an advertising agency. And then she met my dad and she had her children. So she was very a very strong advocate for... Um, knowing your voice, knowing your passion, um, 
never forgetting it, never wavering from it, and to give back because you get so much. It's not about it's not about what you get, it's about what you give. Mm. And you know, she was they were both very good about teaching us um, the value of helping others. What was your position in the hierarchy of the nine siblings? <laughs> well, it was, it was 10 children in 15 years, so it was four boys first and then six girls. Okay. Um, and I was the eighth. You were the eighth. Yes. Wow. So not quite the youngest, nope. but then not quite the middle child, right? right. Oh, wow. Right. What was that like growing up? It had to fight for attention a lot or? Yeah, you know, <laughs> probably a little bit. I mean, I loved it. You know, I'm still very, very close. Our, our siblings are extremely close. As I said, we went to a family wedding. My niece got married this past weekend, and we were all there. Um, we talk to each other on a regular basis. We see each other all the time. Um, we, my, our, my parents really encouraged us very strongly that that's our foundation. Mm. You know, family is extremely important. Right. And you're always there for each other, and you're always there for other people. Huh. I, I wonder, you know, because I have a, a, a daughter, a single daughter right okay. now. Planning on having another one, I, I wonder as you grew up, you know, having these this great support, this great number of, of people in the house, right? right, and helping each other, you know, do you think that kind of developed those, you know, that, that great habit in your head of oh, let me just help people because Absolutely. I've just gotten used to it growing up. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely, because it was not, it was. You know, as you grow up, especially with six girls, you know, you, you want a pair of jeans, you want this, you want that. And it's, you kind of learn, first of all, you learn a work ethic. Mm. You know, we all um, had jobs very young, mm. whether it was babysitting or working in a supermarket or, you know, anywhere. We all needed to, my parents wanted us to know that and have that strong work ethic. Yeah. Um, so, and we also just learned to work together, you know, with each other. Yeah. And I think you know, help within the process of helping each other and even helping maybe the community, you know, it just kind of, it would just lend itself right over, right? Was yes. that present in your childhood a lot? Like helping the community and the yes. community outreach? Yeah. And it was, you know, we grew up honestly with, our, my mother's favorite saying was count your blessings, mm. you know, so you have so much, so you need to give in whatever way you can. Mm. It, do, it doesn't have to be a specific way where somebody thinks you can. It could be just one good deed that you did for somebody that day. Mm. Whether it would be in school if somebody is sitting alone and eating by themselves. Mm. Or if you know they don't have friends. Or if they're having trouble, they had a bad test day or whatever. Step out of yourself. And even if it's an uncomfortable situation, step out of yourself and think about the other person's feelings. Do you have a, a direct experience from your childhood because it's, it's kind of cliche now, right? It's like almost saturated within the culture. Do the right thing and help out somebody in need, right? I mean, do you have a direct experience where, you know, doing something for somebody or even the community, you saw an immediate or direct impact? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I have a family member who grew up with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And we watched, unfortunately, at certain points where her feelings were really hurt. Um, in terms of how people might have treated her or not gotten to know her. So that was very strongly ingrained in us that if we saw something like that happening, we'd do something about it, mm. you know, because we knew that feeling. We saw how sad it made this individual. Um, and you, there's an immediate impact when you do something like that. When you think about, even if somebody is, if you have somebody who might not be acting uh, generously or nicely to somebody, mm -hmm think, okay, maybe they're struggling with something. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're acting out and not being nice to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you try and 
put yourself in other people's shoes and just show them compassion. And usually when you do that, it, it has a good outcome. And then you immediately feel better because it, you see somebody who is sad and then all of a sudden they might be smiling. That's like, okay. And I remember telling my mother, I'm like, it's kind of selfish though, because it makes me feel good. And she's like, but that's, that's it. You're passing along the good feelings to everybody. And you had that personal experience of knowing somebody that you love who unfortunately, you know, and we all go through angst and years where we're not feeling good about ourselves or something. And, and there's, oh, you always need that person, no matter who it is, could be a stranger on the street right. that makes you smile and that changes your whole day. Yeah. And it's like, um, it reminds me of this, the, there's a great prayer, uh, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And they, uh, there's a line on there where it's like, in giving is when we receive, mm -hmm. you know, and it may, and, and there's another line on there, and again, I'm, I'm so sorry by butchering this quote, but it's like in, you know, in, I think it's like in dying is when we are raised to a higher level, you know? Mm -hmm. So something along those lines, and I, I, it resonated with me a lot because it's not easy helping people sometimes, right? right? And right. you may not get an immediate, you know, uh, response, immediate from, response it. from it, right? But Or then, you might not get a positive response from it. Exactly, so, exactly. But yeah. At the same time, there is so many positive positive things that happen from just giving. Yes. Not just necessarily helping that person that may not see it, but you're helping yourself in many ways, right? right. Because, you know... You're learning every day. Like, I, to me, it's like I, I have so much to learn until my last breath. So it's like I, I can change. I can become better in certain areas. There's always work that you can do on yourself. Mm. And to be able to say, wow, you know what? I didn't do that right. right. And I'm sorry. And to take it in and think, okay, how could I do it differently mm. the next time? So helping the community, would you say that, you know, that's what it means to you to help the community, you know, giving back, uh, making a positive change, you know, uh, changing somebody's perspective or view? I mean, what does helping the community mean to you? Well, I think helping is, is bettering the community. I mean, anyway, mm -hmm. um, because as, as in, even in individuals, you can become better and a community as a whole can become better. And, you know, if you have um, more people than less helping do that, it, it's it's can be it's successful right it's like um when i when i went to college i thought it was like somebody's gonna write some kind of manifesto and suddenly everybody's gonna change their perspective yeah. but then no like i i realized because my past life i was a public school teacher i feel oh, like wow, yeah yeah great. i used to teach special education and good for you thank you and i found that to change the world to change society to change culture it really starts with that one person yeah. at a time. You want to make the mark you want to see in the world, right? Right. You want to make you want to see the world more positive and more happy. You do positive, do happy something. things, right? And, yes. And that one person that you change, and then suddenly it's compounds, right? So. Right. And if you if you do that for one person, they're going to remember what you did for them, and it's kind of like the pay it forward. You know, make sure that at some point in your life you're going to be faced with a situation like that, mm. and how are you going to handle it? And yeah. your past experiences help you figure out you handle those situations yeah, absolutely and it's almost like the person that you helped maybe you change their perspective yes. on helping the world and when they encounter an experience maybe they'll remember your experience right. and then they'll go out and help other people right, right. so yeah, just do good yeah. my viewers <laughs> <laughs> so um so long island alzheimer's foundation so mm -hmm. how did you get started on, in that well unfortunately my mother had alzheimer's uh, she lived with it for about 11 years and she was diagnosed, which would, right now, in this day, would be considered early onset. So she was diagnosed in her 60s. So she um, 
at that point, my children were very young. They were three and six months old and my father was still working and my siblings, some lived in New York, but others lived other places and we are all so close and we all took care of our mother as much as we could. Um, but I, with my children and I moved in with my parents. So I was her primary caregiver, mm -hmm. but my sisters were always there. My brothers were always there, you know, giving relief. Um, so I just watched the, um, the sadness and the turmoil that goes mm -hmm. with not only the person who's having, who's living the disease and traversing that journey, but the family who's trying to help her. Everybody has different emotions. Everybody has strengths in how they can help, which thankfully we were able to keep my mother at home because we had so many of us. Mm. That's not an easy thing for a lot of people. And sometimes I don't recommend it. If, if you can't have your parents at home, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, you're not, not doing a good job for them if you find a facility that they are capable and trained and can give them the comfort and the care they need. Mm. So, you know, over those years, um, I, I was teaching, you know, I was doing my student teaching and then I got my master's and I did some teaching, but primarily was home with her. And it, I just, in my mind, you know, on the days that were great and she was lucid and she would remember me sometimes other days, she didn't know who I was. Um, I just knew I, I wanted to do something with this. I was like, this is such a, a sad thing. You know, some days I'd go to bed feeling great. I had gave my mother a wonderful day and, you know, my children were with us and that probably kept her in her early stages much longer because she was at the playground with us. She would take them to school. Every, she went everywhere with me and with the kids and she was hands-on with them. So her mind was constantly moving and she was physically active, which helps with that. Um, so I just thought I, I, I need to do something once there's going to be at some point in my life that I will help in that area of Alzheimer's. I just didn't know what it was during that time. And when my mom passed away, um, I continued to teach, but then my father, we got sick, you know, it was funny because she had cognitive disabilities and was physically fine. Yeah. My father had all the physical disabilities and had cognitive, was sharp as a tack. So he had some heart issues. So then I ended up taking care of him, you know, along with my sisters as well and my brothers. And then when he passed away, I thought, now what do I do? Yeah. I've been a caregiver. Uh, previous to that, you know, I worked when I had my children, I was a paralegal in a law firm. Then I got my master's. I also got my real estate license. So I was keeping busy, but I thought, I don't know if I want to go back to any of that. Right. That's, I don't feel like really deeply, a deep, strong strength towards that. So I started looking um, on the internet for things to do with Alzheimer's. And I looked up LIAF and they were looking for um, recreation leaders to help. And they were also looking for an outreach coordinator. Mm. So I went on an interview and, and they hired me. That's that's awesome. I, I want to say, you know, um, I have, I'm in my second season now in Secret Sauce with Helen Salau. Oh, good for and you. That's a, great. A, thank you. A theme that I found with speaking with um, uh, industry leaders is that, you know, they pursued a passion. Mm -hmm. They pursued something that they deeply care about. And my theory, at least my opinion, it seems like you know, it just makes the most sense because when you're at home making dinner or even brushing your teeth or taking a shower, it's like, what are you gonna be thinking about? You're gonna be thinking about things that you enjoy, your passions, right? And versus a regular nine to five that you don't really care too much about. I mean, it just seems like, you know, you're kind of waiting for the weekend or waiting for your day off because you, know, right. you don't really care too much about your job. So it seems like a, a common theme where uh, successful industry leaders to chase after their passions. I mean, would you agree that this was a, 
passion of yours and you just decided, let's see where I go from here by pursuing this? Absolutely. Because I, I didn't have to think too long. I was like, what do I want to do? And I, I thought, you know what, to honor my mom as well, like, I, I went through it. We went through it as first-time caregivers. And I had so many questions and unknowns. And I read every book there was to read on helping care for your loved one. And the one book, which I will tout right now, is The 36-Hour Day. It's the book that saved my life. Absolutely helped me figure out how to traverse each and every stage of the disease and how to communicate better. Yes, how to communicate better. And I also remember my brother, Timmy, who was an airline pilot. He was a pilot. He was in the Air Force for seven years, and then he worked for um, an airline and just retired, as a matter of fact. And I remember talking to him, and he said, there's not a day that I don't wake up and love going to my job. Mm -hmm. Because forever... My father had a plane, so he, he flew with my father, and then he flew single planes, and he, he loved it. So that was his passion. He's mm -hmm. like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I remember thinking that in my mind, like, I want that. I want that. I want to be able to go to work. And as you said, not just go to work to get a paycheck. I mean, the paychecks are always good. Everybody needs a paycheck. <laughs> I couldn't do without. But um, yeah. I just wanted it to be something that I felt was really meaningful, and then I could go home, that I could look forward to going to work, and then go home and be like, okay. I feel good about what I did today. Mm. So um, when you first transitioned over into uh, working with the Alzheimer's Foundation, tell us a little bit about the experience. You know, was it something that you expected? Was it like, okay, was there a moment where it was like, this is it for me. I am going to be involved in giving back to the community because I just feel amazing. I mean, I'm sorry. Just no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, it was, it was a challenge because the job that I got was um, director of, um, special events and outreach. Mm -hmm. So it was probably three or four big events every year. And that was a large part of the, the, you know, the resources yeah. to come to continue um, the, the programs that we were offering these families. And so I had never done it on that level uh, fundraising I had before. So it was, and doing it within that type of organization, it was all new to me. So it was, it was a big challenge and it was something that at some points I was like, Oh my God, who, who do I think I am? You know, like you, you wonder at some points and then I thought, no, this is, I can do this. This is not, and it's, you deal with people all the time. And I love talking with people. I love being around people. I, you know, I think probably from my upbringing, my parents were very social beings. Mm -hmm. We always had people around conversation. They encouraged conversation. Um, so it, all of the aspects of things I loved were in this job. Mm -hmm. And to top it off, it was doing something that I felt was honoring my mom. So I thought, okay, but this is a challenge. So and after each challenge, I was like, I did it. After each event, I felt proud. I felt good. Mm. And then I was like, well, I have to make more money next one. You know, so it was a constant um, push of my own abilities, which was really nice because I, I felt strongly about it. Mm. And it's a confidence builder, you know, where I was out of the workforce for a long time and intimidated to go into the workforce. Like, oh my gosh, can mm. I do this? Can I not? And it, it really quickly, I felt like well, I could do it. I could, you know, throw something at me. I might have to learn it, but I'll do it. Would you say that's that was your secret sauce for that moment in your life when you encountered an obstacle? Just yeah. setting that, continue to have that higher expectation and kind of, you know, continuing to raise the bar? Yes, and to not ever think that something's too great for you. You know, that, oh, I could never get there. I could never do that. No. You could do anything you set your mind to. And I, you know, at a younger, I used to be very, very shy. So I would say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Now it's, you know, as we were talked about earlier, life experiences, you learn. You know, I've learned nothing is, you know, so bad. Any mistake you might make, you can always fix it, apologize for it, or make it better. And if you do your best and you put your all in, 
you might be disappointed at some points because you might have wanted to reach that bar, but you did your best. Yeah. And you, you did it in, with integrity and you did it with respect for other people. So it is. Don't, don't ever, and don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do it. Mm -hmm. You can't or you shouldn't do it. There's a, there's a story from my sister Ellen who was a nurse, um, was going to nursing school at Catholic University. And she was born to be a nurse. She's a pediatric oncology nurse in Sloan Kettering. And she called up my mother one day in tears and said, my teacher told me I should find another career. I'm never going to be a good nurse. And my mother went off. She said, don't you ever. She said, you are going to be an amazing nurse. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that you can't or you shouldn't do something. Mm -hmm. If you, especially if you feel it's your passion, you keep doing it. And she did. I mean, she, she graduated and she's been an amazing nurse for almost 30 years. So it's, you know, you, you might be intimidated by things, but if you feel strongly about it, just keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep pushing. I have to ask you, actually, it just hit me. How long did, were you that, you know, that primary caretaker for your mom and your dad? Was it years or? Yeah, probably 12 or 13 years. Wow. Yeah, maybe a little. I'm trying, my mom got diagnosed in 96. Yes, my daughter was married in 95, 96. And she died in 2006, so that was 10 years. And then my father um, lived f almost like six years. After. He passed away in 2013. Mm. So yeah, it was it was a long time. Wow. But like I said, I did things in between. You know, my, my sisters would help, but I lived with them primarily. But you know, I did things like real estate where I could do it in a very flexible right. schedule. Right. You know, and a lot of it from home. Um, so, but it, I would never. I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't change a thing. Do you have any advice for? somebody that is caring for a, you know, a parent that is going through that process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have compassion for yourself mm. because it's not an easy job. It's probably one of the toughest jobs there are. I mean, just like parenting, you know, it's very difficult. Nobody knows how to do it <laughs> until they have children. Um, but you, the job is so difficult and you might feel on a day that you have done nothing right and that you failed the person that you love or that, oh my God, can I, or should I be doing this? That's all natural emotions and find somebody to talk to. Mm. Don't do it alone. Mm. Don't, um, just it, whether it's a social worker that you can reach out to, whether it's a family member, um, know that you have your limits, that there's certain things you can do. And if you get to a point where you feel like you really can't do this anymore, reach out. Because it's perfectly normal to feel absolutely. overwhelmed, right? You know, absolutely. It's so charged. I can imagine, like, you know, it's your parent yeah. that raised you. So it's like not to see them kind of go through a struggle that they're probably not going to get better from. Right. And I, then they don't know you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at points. You know, you're dealing with somebody who their mind is erased. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize the biggest lesson I taught myself is that, you know, if my mom had had a bad day or if she didn't know who I was or she was afraid that I was a stranger coming in her house, I learned that to not take it personally. I, I learned that it's the disease, it's not my mother. Because mm -hmm. my mother was the most loving, caring woman ever. So this is just the disease, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, Glen Cove Senior Center because yes. um, you had actually taken the helm from uh, Carol Walkman, I Waldman. believe. Waldman. Waldman. And Waldman. Super famous, actually, oh, because she's, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, her name is yeah. uh, downstairs. <laughs> so I was like, you know. Um, so. I remember reading an article where it says, uh, what you, you quoted as saying, you know, big shoes to fill, yes. you know? So how did that transition come about you know, from the Long Island Alzheimer's Foundation to the Glen Cove Senior Center? Well, when I started at um, the foundation, 
I had, you know, my job was for outreach to go out and meet, go to assisted livings, go to nursing homes, go to senior centers. So I came, seniors, the Glen Cove was on my list. So I came here. I, I remember the first day I met her, came in, walked into her office and we sat down and within 10 minutes, I was like, I love this woman. I love her. We just connected. She was terrific. We did, um, over the years, we did programs here, you know, cognitive programs. They had nighttime mm. uh, programming. So we would, um, our social workers would come and do mm. um, programs with the members here. So it was great. I loved it. And then years later, she came to one of my events, one of our big ones, the casino night event. And she was there and I was like, oh, what are you doing? She said, oh, I just wanted to come and see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. And then we had lunch and she told me that she was considering retiring. And that she wanted me to take over as a director. And I was wow. like, did you did you have a relationship <coughs> with her already, or oh yeah, just that okay? So you frequented a lot. Yes, we would talk to each okay. other a lot. Okay. We would okay. do programming together. You know, Liaf would come here to do programming with the members, and then we just kept in touch. You know, on a personal level, because she's such a wonderful woman. Um, but I hadn't seen her in a while. I probably hadn't talked to her in six months, maybe even a year. And that when she stopped by, and then we had lunch, and she thought, she said, I, I really think that you could do this, and I. It was so out of the blue. I thought, what are you talking about? I, I can't do that. But then over the next six months, we talked about it because she planned her retirement for you know a year or so. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, I talked to my family members who I always do. I'm like, what do you think? I talked to my children and they all encouraged me to do it. And I'm so happy that I did. What I was the characteristic it. about her that, that you love so much? She's a real person and she's got the biggest heart. And I mean, literally, you can say that about a lot of people. She's got the biggest heart of anybody you'll ever meet. Um, she does for everybody consistently. She's, she's funny. She's compassionate. I mean, every good quality you could say Carol Waldman has it. Mm. She really does. You know, when, cause I hear this a lot. Like when people say, oh, this person is real. Like I feel you are real, you know, oh, I think thank you, ha you. No, you have to be to like, I think to be successful, you know, like when I say real, I mean like to be completely comfortable with who you are mm -hmm. and you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, characteristics that could be abrasive or not, you know, like you just, this is who I am. And you know, I am going to show this to the world and you like me, you like yeah. me, you don't like me, you <laughs> exactly. don't like me. At least that's my definition of real. I mean, yes. would you say that that's yes. kind of your definition? Because you of can't how... make everybody happy and you can't make everybody like you. So it's like, okay, I, you just have to be happy with the person you are and that you know that you're a good person. And if somebody, if you don't, you don't can't gel with everybody. Yeah. I think it's like, um, you know, when we're kids, kind of taught, you know, you have to look at yourself in the mirror, you know, do the right thing. And it's almost kind of gets ingrained. And, you know, I, I don't know how this happens, but I, I've met people that kind of strayed from that, you mm -hmm. know, where it's, you know, maybe they'll, instead of choosing the, the proper path or the path that will lead to the best outcome, maybe they'll, ch they'll choose a path that, you know, might be the easiest path and might not right. be the best outcome, but they'll get the immediate satisfaction or gratification, you know? Right. Um, but it, there is extreme value, I think, in those teachings and those sayings, you know, yeah. because it's like when you can, when you get older, like a geezer like me, right, <laughs> you get older, like it's so important and pivotal to be able to live in your own skin. Yes. Because just, you know, I'm nothing to hide. I'm, I am who I am. You like me, you like me, you don't like me, you don't like me. It's so, liber it's so liberating. It is. It's, you know, it gives you, it's a comfort feeling. Yeah, that's self-sovereignty, yeah. right? <laughs> so how is that experience like when transitioned over I could I can imagine now suddenly it's like oh man Long Island Alice Hamlet's foundation you're, you're planning these events getting bigger and bigger and then suddenly from there to like 
director of Green Cove Senior Center. You know, yeah. Big deal. What was that like? It was, uh, it was, it was fun. It was exciting. Um, it, again, it was a challenge for me because I'd never managed this amount of staff um, or, you know, building programs and all of that. I mean, I managed all the special events, which is great, um, which I loved, mm -hmm. but this was a whole different thing. So I, it was kind of learning on the job in certain aspects of it. Um, but I knew that as we talked about, like the person that I am, I knew I could communicate at least with everybody, especially the staff. You know, I wanted them to get to know me, um, and how I work, but I also wanted to get to know them. You know, like, what is it that you love about this center? What is it that you'd like to see changed? What is it that um, you have frustrations about? You know, I tried to speak to each and every one of the, the staff to, you know, find those things out and to have a relationship with each and every one of them. Mm. Um, you know, while still at the same time being, you know, the director and knowing how I wanted the center to run. There wasn't much that I had to change at all because Carol did an amazing job. You know, the programming was wonderful. Um, it was a little difficult because I started in October of 2019 and we closed in March of 2020. Oh, wow. So it was only those five months or six months we were open and then all of a sudden we were closed. So I was just kind of getting my footing and be like, okay, everything's running smooth. And I remember putting the, the piece of paper, getting a letter from Nassau County and putting the piece of paper on the door saying, how are we going to close for two weeks? I thought two weeks was a lifetime because what are our seniors going to do? So that was a totally different whole ball of wax. And now how do I manage separately? You know, not even having staff together, not having all of us be together, but still be able to work so that my, so the staff can still keep their job mm. and not go on furlough. So wow, it was a lot. this is such a Great paragraph to unpack. Yes. <laughs> so much jewels from here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I want to say, like, it seems, again, a consistent characteristic that an observation that I just want to point out for my viewers. Like, um, you know, I don't expect everybody to watch every episode, but it seems like a, a theme, the common theme that I find from successful industry leaders are, you know, constantly trying to improve, constantly learning, right? And in Christine's case, you know, when you became a director, kind of learning on the job and yep. kind of welcoming that challenge that, hey, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to learn and try yes. to strive for perfection. You know, yes. uh, I, I wanted to point that out because, you know, everybody that I have on had that kind of a mentality of constant improvement. And, you know, it, it's awesome that you mentioned that because it makes sense. Actually, mm -hmm. when I come into the senior center, it's extremely clean. As I was mentioning before, um, the seniors are very happy and there is just a great level of consideration and care for the, the members that come here. And yes. I think that is a direct result of great leadership, a leader that is constantly thinking about self-improvement, not just for themselves, as I'm sure Christine does consider that, but you know, improvement of you know, what she's doing, and in this case, you know, the director of the center. But I have to talk to you about the pandemic, mm -hmm. because it's like, what do you do? I mean, a lot of our seniors that come, the members that come here, you know, they, again, a sophisticated transportation system, right? Yes. To bring them here, you know, there's meals prepared for them. There's a lot of socialization. There's a lot of activity, physical activity, mm -hmm. you know, just get them up and moving. How did you, how did you, you know, weather that, st that storm of the pandemic? Well, like I said, we thought it was two weeks and I thought, how are we going to do the two weeks seem like a lifetime. Like, what are they going to do without us? So immediately, I mean, the day I put that piece of paper on the door, 
I said, I asked my uh, Jackie and Heidi, our site manager, assistant site manager, I said, please print out the names of all of our members, at least the members that have come consistently for the last two to three years. So that way, because we're going to make phone calls every single day. We're just going to check in on them. We're going to see if they need food. We're going to see if they're by themselves, if they're, um, you know, if they need their medicine picked up, whatever it is. And because at the beginning it was, okay, closed down, but it wasn't everybody had to be locked in their house yet. So we split it up with everybody, all of our part-timers, and especially our adult day program, because we have the adult day program for people who are physically and cognitively frail. That I worry about even more so, because those caregivers are not getting the respite they need, and their loved ones are not getting the stimulation they need. So all of us, all together, adult day, and all of the staff, including the kitchen staff, everybody got a, a two pages of names. And when we went home, I said, every day, your hours, whatever you're supposed to be working, 10 to 2, or whatever hours you want to work, call them. But, you know, make sure you call your whole list. And if you're on the phone with them for five minutes and they say, no, I'm fine, that's fine. Or if they want to stay on the phone with you for an hour, you stay on the phone with them for an hour. Mm -hmm. Like, just make sure that they're okay. And then we, I, we realized, okay, we got to get the meals. So we called Nassau County, who supports our meals and transportation program. And we asked if we can deliver meals. Can we have to-go meals? And they're like, yes. So our, our um, caterer who does our meals packed them all up. And originally we were just doing it, it was just a few of us um, and just putting them in our car and delivering them. You know, we would call up and say, do you want a meal? Do you want this? And they, we'd say, we, we can give you two meals. You know, we did it, I think, I can't remember now. I'm shocking, I thought I would never forget it, but two or three times a week and we would give them two meals each. Um, so that kept us going. And then as then it was two weeks that we had to shut down completely, we couldn't do anything. Um, and then we got our bus up and running. So, because I told the mayor, because a lot of people unfortunately were had to go on furlough. And I said, we have to get out to our seniors, though, because I need the staff, you know, Tillman to drive the bus and two of the staff members to go on to be able to get off the bus, come in, get all the meals prepared, figure out, yeah. you know, we were all in here. We were all masked, gloves, everything. Um, Jackie and Heidi were every day would plan who needed the meal for the next day. And then the kitchen staff came in and packed it all up and mm -hmm. went on the bus. And so we all worked through the pandemic. We were, we were here, we were doing, you know, whatever we could for them. We also, um, our activity coordinator um, and myself did online programming. Mm. So we immediately got um, our instructors that did all of our Tai Chi and our other exercise um, through EAC. They were able, enabled, the ones that were able to, um, video, started videotaping themselves being live on Facebook. So that was another thing we had to do was call and teach these, teach our members if they had an iPad or even a phone or a computer, how to, to get on there so that they could be connected, still move around, do things at home. Um, so it was basically everything, almost everything that happens here was they were just doing it at home and we were giving them the resources to be able to do it. Wow. And it's like with the goal of doing the right thing mm -hmm. for others, you know, that passion was what helped that motivated and drove you to continue to succeed, essentially, right? right? And I, I want to point out something that I just, an observation that I made. You had you have this energy about you, this energy of advocacy. And again, with the foundation of helping others, you know? And uh, I have like maybe a, a, a assumption on where you potentially got that from. I mean, okay. where, do you, where do you think you got that secret, potential secret sauce from that? this sense of advocacy speak up and because I'm sure it wasn't easy to be calling the mayor, Hey, you know, I need this for my seniors. Right. And meanwhile, the mayor I'm sure has like a million, it's the pandemic, right. but he has a million things on her mind, you know? So I'm sure, you know, that sense of advocacy and, and really fighting for what you think is right. You know, that has to be there to get what you want done. Yeah. So 
I mean, wh where do you think you, you got that foundation of advocacy from? Definitely from my from my family. I mean, growing up. Okay. And you know, I do have to say that the current the mayor that was, uh, you know, Tim, Mayor Tanky that was there was okay. very supportive, wonderful. As sure. is Mayor Panzemak. Yeah. Mayor Panzemak yeah. has was on our Sage Foundation, and she is wonderful and will support us in whatever way she can possibly do it. Shout so out to I'm very You're yes, awesome. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm very lucky. We're very lucky in that way because yeah. they really do believe in the services that we provide. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it was just from from my upbringing. I really do. And I think just, I, I don't know, sometimes you, I, I was a really, really sensitive child. Very sensitive. My family used to laugh at me all the time because I'd cry at everything. My feelings would get hurt. What is that? So I think that it made me, you know, empathetic to individuals who feel that same way and may not have somebody to support them and may have that. I think a feeling of loneliness is probably one of the worst feelings in the world. Mm. You know, really being lonely and alone and feeling you have nobody to me is, uh, it, it makes me so upset when I think about it. So if there's ever that, I just want to try and do whatever I can to wow. try and alleviate that feeling from anybody. Yeah, I can totally relate. I am the same, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> similar story. I can actually. tell. Yeah, like yes. similar story. So it's like that, it's so overwhelming, that feeling of loneliness, sadness, unhappiness. It's so overwhelming. It's like you wouldn't wish that. On anybody. Anything. Especially yes. a senior yes. that is relying on the senior center to, again, for all their like their needs, yes. you know, physical, emotional, spiritual needs, you know. Absolutely. So it's like that, and and it's not like five seniors. We're talking about thousands of seniors, right? You yeah, have, we have two thousand members, 2, and members. on an average, we could have anywhere from three hundred to four hundred of them walking in during the day, whether it's just coming in for exercise or for lunch, or um, you know, a lot of our members, this is their second home. You know, they they live alone. Their children don't live close to here, so they're here at nine o'clock, and they may stay till three or four o'clock. You know, they'll have lunch. They, they meet their best friends that they, you know, they've had best friends in their life, but now this is their, you know, best, new best friends that they have. So it's really important. It was really important that we stay connected during yeah, that time. Absolutely. And the center is, it just goes beyond just a physical location, right? As you were mentioning, you know, we have the social aspect and there's just a learning component here also. Like, yes. you know, there's Tai Chi here, there's pool, yes. there's Mahjong. Yes. Like, what senior center has Mahjong? My goodness. <laughs> like an organized, you have somebody that teaches uh, Mahjong as well. It's yes. very, very cool. When I came and I found that out, I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's very popular. It's very popular. And we're always open to new things. Like we ask our members all the time, if, you're, if you hear anything or see anything that you want that somebody, another senior center has or whatever, let us know. Yeah. And it's a very healthy I think like a life philosophy too it's like let's try something new yes. see what happens and then if it's uh, if it's great and it sticks let's, let's let's build on it right? right and if it doesn't work out people don't like it or there's issues then we'll stop doing fine, it right right no yeah doesn't hurt exactly I think that's a, a, another potential secret sauce that successful people highly successful people that mentality that they have you know versus just you know, that negative perspective of that's not going to work. I don't even want to try it. I don't yes. want to think about all the negatives of it. I don't, you know, I already have all this programming set up. I don't want to, you know, I think right. that, that, that makes a lot of sense what you just said. Right. Just be open to things. You have to, if you say no, I mean, sometimes <laughs> some people said, I remember when I was younger, they'd say, you say yes to everything. And then you're overwhelmed. They're like, you should say no first. And then they're like, okay, I can do this. I'm like, I don't think I can do that. But saying, just having an idea and saying it's not going to work. Why, why would you do that? You haven't even tried. And it might be a great thing for people that they love. It's something outside the box. Try it. Yeah. 
yeah. changing lives, right? Yeah. And I want to say there's um, there's one wall that I see that has just dozens of activities on it, and then yeah. there's like <laughs> it's amazing. Shout out to Eric Schumann, right? Who yes. also helps plan activity coordinator. Activity. Yes. Right. 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 But there's like you know one wall that I for sure see, and I'm sure there's other locations where you know you know activities are posted up. You know, mm -hmm. just this constant, constant, constant. You know, uh, just stimulation and constant. Um, options and opportunities to learn and grow because you know you hit a certain age it doesn't mean that you stop growing and stop having fun or learning too I mean they like you were saying they all try all these new activities and what I really try and encourage um, you know I try to get to know each member new member that comes in and get to know their life and what's going on with them or what they've done in their past and I encourage them if they've had a profession that they really love and they were strong in and I'm like we have somebody who was a math professor for years I said give a lesson Give a lesson you know he was like oh maybe i'll do that he's going to do his third lesson now the place is packed everybody loves it i said just make it fun don't make it like when you're in eighth grade you know, oh, i don't want to go to math class you know <laughs> then they're not going to like it but do, do it enjoyable and everybody loves it and they just ask for another and he's going to do a third so like it it that's what he did his whole life that's like his his being so he can he can share with people and teach people and you're never too old to do that mm. ever I think I saw a flyer downstairs. What is it like? Uh, the meaning of numbers. Meaning of numbers. That's probably oh, is that what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, Frank. He's a wonderful member, so he's yeah. gonna yeah. do his so, third one. So from the onset of the pandemic to now, well, to, uh, when we got out of the pandemic, at least you know that was kind of the the, the theme, I guess, right? It was constantly you know uh, uh, with the goal of helping our you know the members out, mm -hmm. constantly advocating, and you know. Was there, a, you know, any other obstacles that encountered? I mean, it was, it was a huge obstacle, you know, yeah. that alone, you know. Was there any obstacles that you had hit during that time that you mm -hmm. could share? Yeah. <laughs> so, part, partly, I said to everybody, I'm like, I might be a jinx because an Ida destroyed our entire basement. Holy moly. So, we had, because the way that our building sits, the water flows from up that hill, flows down, yeah. and then we have a creek behind us. So, that rose. So we had six feet of standing water in the back of our parking lot. So it just destroyed our entire basement, which was our adult day program down there. Then we have, um, you know, we had pool tables and other couches and areas where everybody did their activities. And it was just destroyed because the sewer tops popped off. So it was sewer water right. included. So we had to have remediation, um, had to cut all the sheetrock at a certain point, had to rip up all the carpeting and the flooring, wow. had to take out the kitchen and ADP. I mean, it was destroyed. That wow. was, we had just really started to come back and open up. Yeah, right. I mean, we all started crying. I walked in that morning and I'll, I'll never forget it. Rob, who's our cleaner, came down and he said, did you see the basement yet? And I was like, no, I'm dealing with the water up here. He's like, you got to go in the basement. And I was shocked. I mean, there still was probably two feet of water in there, two to wow. three feet of water. So that took us almost a year to rebuild wow. because we had to go through insurance. And then FEMA supposedly was going to help us. Um, it, we had to, uh, to itemize everything we lost down to pens and crayons down in the ADP. So it took forever. Stephanie and Dave in our finance department were amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and Melanie and Amanda, who are, uh, Amanda's our director of day, uh, the day program, Amanda Freeman, and uh, Melanie Raimondo is our program uh, project coordinator, which is amazing. Um, we're just destroyed. I mean, we're all crying. Like, how are we going to build this back? And we can't have these families come here. Right. Like, now they're home again. Yeah. So and, was... and I got to say, for more context for our viewers, the basement is like a hub of activity down yes. there. You got a pool table. Yep. There's just all our exercises down there. 
there's just so many. I see ping pong tables down there. Yeah. It's just so much activity happens. It's not just a storage area, right. and this was devastating. It really was. It was, and I thought I thought to everybody, I'm like, what is it going to be a swarm of locusts next? I I I have no idea. Like, why is this happening? So I just I I as upset as I was, I was like, you know, as you talk about leadership, I'm like, okay, we're going to get this done. It's okay. This is just another obstacle. It's a stumbling block. We're going to get right on top of it. We're going to, I mean, we were hands-on. We had our gloves. I was digging stuff out, throwing things in the dumpster, you know, as much as we could help to get it done. Um, and if that was in September. I'm, I'm forget. excuse me, my years. I think it was December 21 and then, or sat, September 21. And by September 22, we had almost everything in there. Right. Um, you know, we had to do brand new kitchen, had to get it all outfitted. And it takes a while because also during the pandemic, things were not readily available. So the, the products that we needed, oh, it's going to take you five months to get it. Mm. So it was devastating at that point, but we went back to um, virtual programming for our adult day. And then once we had our flooring in and we had the walls done, we brought them back in because we just used card tables and, and folding chairs, mm. but at least we had them here. So we were able to do that. Now we're fully up and running. Everything is brand new. Everybody loves it. Nice and clean. It was definitely a, a test for you. Yes. Because, and you have passed it with extremely fine. <laughs> because <laughs> when you. I walk down there now, if you hadn't told me that this had happened. You would never know. It. I would. Ne it's incredible down there. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I want to kind of come by later. And I know. Big <laughs> like this is very amazing, beautiful space. If you haven't came and come and check out, yeah, you're welcome anytime. Yes, please come because it's a very welcoming, warm. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Thank um, you. So I, you know, it was a test, and I want to say like again, you passed it with flying colors. It's thank you. Um, so talk to us about the this new uh, experience that you're having with as a director of the North Shore Soup Kitchen. And, oh, and, and okay. Nosh. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm the chairwoman of Nosh, oh. which is a food delivery and pantry service. We started um, with a few of us as soon as the pandemic started. Um, we realized that especially families and children, you know, families who lost their jobs and children no longer going to school and they get a meal there, that we needed to help them somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that. It started at the Glen Cove High School mm -hmm. in the back area. And we got uh, people donating food and stuff from Island Harvest and then Long Island Cares. And we got volunteers who would come every day and they still do. Uh, to pick up. We have a tracking system where we have the families that need the food and they deliver it to their doorstep. Wow. Um, we did partner with the North Shore Soup Kitchen because we did not have our 501c3 and they were wonderful. They helped us through a really difficult time um, to be able to continue to get food, um, supply, you know, their experience. They've been in doing their the, the soup kitchen for over 30 years. So they were wonderfully helpful to us and we're extremely grateful. And then we got our five, own 501c3, so we've separated. Mm -hmm. So the soup kitchen is now doing what the amazing work they do, which is hot meals um, for individuals at the Baptist Church. And Nosh is separate and is at 32 School Street, right here in Glen Cove in the back. Um, and we do still do deliveries for families. If, you, if any family is in need of food, you just have to call. Um, uh, the number or go down to 32 school street yeah. or you can always call the senior center and speak to me about it um, and we can get you on the list for delivery but we also have a walk-in pantry that's monday tuesday thursday friday nine to one and you can come in and you can pick out whatever food you want mm. uh, the deliveries that we do are we get a certain amount of food if it's a family of two or if it's family of four you know you get more food obviously the walk-in pantry we have more options for people so they can pick what they'd like mm. um, or what their children would like 
Um, and it's doing wonderfully. We just, as a matter of fact, opened on Saturdays. We just had our second Saturday this past Saturday. Um, it's from 11 to 3. Mm. Individuals can come in. We have the farmer's market there. We've got fresh produce. We've got um, meat, rice, pastas, um, as much as we can possibly give to them. Because even though the pandemic's over, food insensitivity is still here. And, you know, we need to help these individuals. Wow. It just hit me that I have, you know, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I got... I, I've identified your superpower. You're a superhero. Oh, oh, no, it's no, like, you know, no. we think of Marvel characters, DC characters, superpowers, right? No, you want to change the world, help people out. It's, you know, it's amazing, yeah. you know, what your life goal, you know, this, this goal of helping people, how many lives you've touched and you've helped. It's just... Remarkable. Well, I can't even take, I can't even take this much credit because our board members are amazing. Linda Eastman, who is our operations manager, who's one who, and Courtney Callahan, who started it as well, um, works tirelessly, physically, emotionally, unbelievably in, in keeping this going. Um, they do all the real hard legwork, um, and we just do our best to provide them money and the support that they need in order to keep going. But the, the individuals who are involved in it, the volunteers, we have so many volunteers, and they're committed. They come every day that they're scheduled to come, they're, that we couldn't do it without them. Yeah. We just couldn't do it without them. So, I mean, I'm only a teeny tiny cog in the wheel. Uh, all the credit goes to the people who, who work on it every single day wow. and work there physically. Shout out day. to you guys. Yes, awesome. absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it, it would seem like you're all cut from the same cloth. The same mentality. Yes. Same goal. Helping the community. And then when you collectively band together with this mentality, it's like you can, you're changing. You can be successful. You're, you're, it's like... Would you say that's the secret sauce? Oh. Yeah, you'd be successful because it's not about you. It's not about one individual. It's not about, you know, like, I don't, you don't need recognition. You do it because you want the end result to be helping people. So it has nothing to do with one person. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. No, 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 we're all working together to do it. And yes, everybody does their part. And we couldn't be successful unless we had everybody doing that. You know, our board members all have specialties in how they help and their expertise in how they help us. So without that, all those puzzle pieces, it, it would be almost impossible to be successful. Wow, that's a very important point you make. That's definitely for our younger viewers, right? Yes. Who kind of just, you know, in Instagram age, you know, it's like, I want the recognition. Let me figure out how to get the recognition. But it's like, no, pursue your passion, your dreams, do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, the results will follow. Recognition may potentially follow, but who cares? Like recognition should not be the primary goal, no. right? It's being satisfied and content yes. with who you are. Right? That feeling of, yes, okay, now I feel good is much bigger than, you know, somebody, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know, I can't compare it to it, but it, it really is the most um, worthwhile feeling. It's like when you have Rewarding a feeling. 100%. It's like when you pass on, you, you can't really... When you pass on, it's not like you're going to bring the recognition with you, right? Or like bring the money with you or bring the fancy cars, right? But we can bring with you is, the, is that feeling, right? Yep. yep. That feeling of you know, what you did to impact the world and change the world. Right. And I think that as you're talking about this next generation, it's really important. Like, uh, you know, I have two children. My daughter Mary's 28. She just got married to her wonderful husband, Will. And my son, Will, who is 25. And they're wonderful human beings. They really are. And I think my, my goal as a parent, I said, I could make millions of dollars in the world. I could have great jobs. I could have this and that. 
But if I wasn't a good mom to my kids, I would not feel successful. Like, that was my primary goal in life. Like I, these children are brought in this, to this world and I have to make sure that they have the life lessons that they, that they need and that I want them to have. Mm. And I think growing up with their parents, living with my grandparents, with their grandparents, my parents, was such a, a lesson for them. Mm. I mean, they, they learned to respect um, the older generation. They learned that you can learn from them. And they learned just how not to be afraid of the growth process mm. and the aging process. And I think it's really important that the next generation know that. It's not, because everybody, everybody worries about money. Everybody worries about finances. I worry about it. You know, there's not, you know, unless you win the lottery, but then you still worry about it because people are coming at you for money. But what you want to feel, what I always just said I wanted to feel was that I, I taught them the right lessons in life. And that, because it's going to progress and they're going to have their children. And what are they going to teach their children? And I just wanted them to be good people, mm. you know, know how to be a good person. <clears throat> so I think that's important. And I think everybody has it in them. It's just a matter of finding it and, you know, sticking with it. <laughs> awesome. So. Um, if you had a time machine and you can go back, say, Christine, after she got out of college, mm -hmm. right? Like before, you know, all of these incredible experiences that you've experienced. Um, do you have any advice, a piece of advice that you would give yourself? Yes. Uh, well, I said it earlier. Don't ever think anything is too big for you or too great for you to do. Mm. Um, and listen to what people say. If, if people are giving you compliments or showing you your strengths, believe them. You know, they're, they're have, try and build on your confidence. Um, look at, maybe see yourself the way other people see yourself. Um, like I said, I was very shy. I never thought, oh my God, I would never in a million years have thought I would ever stand up in front of 200 people or, and speak. And uh, during life, doing my events and stuff, I did it all the time. So allow yourself to grow and do it with an open mind. Mm. Don't be afraid of it. My sister told me this, this um, quote, which is when I, she first told it to me, I was like, wow, I have to listen to that. I have to tell myself that every day. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Wow. Because I remember the first event that I did for LIAF, and it was probably about 200 people there, and I had to get up and speak, and I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And my sister was like, you're feeling the fear. You just got to get out there and do it. And I was like, you're right. You're right. And once I do it, I'll get over that fear. Because if you give in to that fear, it, it'll stop. In, for me, it would have stopped my growth. Nice. It would have made, never let me be the person I am today. And I'm a very, not different person, but I'm a much broader person than I was back then. Wow. Thank you so much for that great quote because another awesome theme that I've heard other successful industry leaders say as well, it's like just when you're afraid, it's an emotion, but like yes. you gotta, you gotta take action to defeat the emotion because the emotion is not gonna get you any, anything. It's a driver, but then it's like, it doesn't really change anything. You gotta right. just go and do it. It reminded me of this awesome experience when I went bungee jumping for the first time. I will never do that. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I will feel that fear and I will walk away. That's not the fear that I will go to. I yeah. never. How did you do that? I felt the fear and I just did it. And wow. I remember that it just, and I kid you not literally that quote. I remember they, I walked up to the ledge and I was shaking and it was just like, I was petrified, but then I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. 
Oh my God. And it's just because I wanted to experience the experience of, of jumping in. If I would have chickened out there, I would have never experienced it. Yeah, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe in that quote, but like I did zip lining once and I could yeah. barely step off the, they almost had to push me off the platform. Yeah. And I got down to the bottom and I was like, that's great. I did it. I don't have to do it again. Like I, I'm not a heights person. But so I, I know that. But can I offer uh, a, a counterpoint though? <laughs> if you, if let's just say a, you know, weird, weird fantasy world where it's like, okay, if you zip line, you'll save a million people. Well, yeah, see, I'm that's, sure, that's just, sure now you're challenging me. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, yeah, if it said your children are down there and you have to go save them, uh, yes, absolutely, I would. Exactly. I might have a heart attack on the way down, I don't know. I would be so scared because <laughs> I, so I don't like heights, but if it was something like that, then yeah, I probably would. 100%. That quote, it's very powerful. Yeah. That quote. I guess it just sure. depends on the context of the situation, but like, you know, I think it's definitely applicable for, yes. for, for everybody. Right. But, Christine Rice, I don't know how better to end this. I mean, you yeah. have, this episode is full of secret sauces, inspirational experiences. Just, I really appreciate you coming on. And I think the value of podcasts is to be able to, in this case, video podcasts, be able to see the person and kind of just better understand the person again this is not rehearsed this is you know something yeah that you know we this is very organic and just seeing how real a person is i think you know it, it's inspiring to our viewers so christine rice oh pleasure is mine this was an amazing podcast thank you, thank so, you much. so much for coming thank on thank you so much <laughs> and i really appreciate it because i appreciate all the support you give our center and i you know because my staff is amazing i just have to say that I, every day I love coming in. I love all of them. They're, they're wonderful. They come in here because they love their jobs and they love helping people. And I could not be successful if it were not for them as well. So I can't, I can't take all the credit. I really, it, it's, it's a joy to be here and our members, they, I was away for a week, like I said, for a wedding and I, I couldn't wait to come back and see them all. I had to hug them and be like, I missed you. I want to know what's going on. So thank you for giving us this, this, recognition and if any senior out there 60 years or older who lives in Nassau County please come and join us um, no it's free membership you know it's, we have transportation we've got meals so just give us a call heck yeah I'm gonna leave the link for the senior center um, please support and donate right I'm gonna leave the, the link down there as well I'll leave the link for a uh, Nash and North Shore Soup Kitchen um, and yeah, come say hi. Glen Cove Senior Center is amazing. Yes, our website out. is being updated. So when you look at it, it might not be perfect, but it does have our phone number and everything on there. So you'll be able to get in touch with us. Christine Rice, thank you so thank much. This episode is brought to you by Jing's Mortgage Team. Jing's Mortgage Team is a team of real estate mortgage professionals whose mission is to help anyone with their real estate needs. If you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, refinance your home, have credit issues, or in need of an investment loan, we can definitely help you. If you're looking for a real estate agent, we know the best of the best real estate agents. Visit the link below for more information.